Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cover. I'm John Perry. And today we're asking the question, what is the future of synthetic meat? So this issue is personally interesting to me because I'm someone who's increasingly sympathetic to the idea that eating meat might be unethical or morally wrong. Uh, and yet, I like eating meat. I lack the willpower to stop, it seems. Uh, I've tried to cut back. hasn't gone very well. Uh, so this would be a technological solution that would allow me to dodge the whole problem and eat my cake and have it too, so to speak. Or as Ted and I were recently talking about, uh, a better tagline might be, Eat your cow and have it moo. Which I like a lot. And I think uh, one of these labs or companies that's working on this should steal that and use it. Yes, please. We'll give it to you. Um, I like this idea too. I think, you know, I might be a little bit less tortured by the ethics of eating meat, but I think all things being equal, I'd rather not cause additional suffering and environmental damage and what have you by by supporting meat production. So if there were a tasty and relatively affordable option of a synthetic meat that I could purchase, I'd be very inclined to adopt that, uh, even though I'm honestly, I don't think even that close to a borderline vegetarian. Um, that's why I think this is so interesting, is I think uh, if it's good enough, people might just choose synthetic meat, even if the ethics of it don't enter into the question for them. Well, that's something we'll get to later in the episode, which is like, you know, at a certain point, this might just make more sense for a variety of reasons. Right. Uh, and this is certainly not a new idea. Winston Churchill was somebody who famously talked about this, about how, you know, we waste most of the animal and, uh, you know, why if he just wants a chicken leg, does he have to grow a whole chicken with a brain attached to it? Winston Churchill, this is a man who apparently liked his meat. Yes, right. But he didn't, but he liked efficiency as well. <laughs> and, and he thought we'd have this technology by 1982. So big shock. Somebody was wrong predicting the future. Right. Like many things, we thought we'd have flying cars, so we thought we'd have uh, trips to the moon. But we might be closer to the synthetic meat now than either the flying cars or at least the casual trips to the moon. Right. So there's various names for synthetic meat. Some of them are victimless meat, cultured meat, probably the most accurately describes what it is. It's meat grown in a culture of cells. Tube steak, which sounds really gross. I like that one, tube steak. Uh, I assume that's a combination of test tube and meat, because test tube meat is another one. Cruelty-free meat. That's a loaded one. That's and, a marketing term. Mm-hmm. And the most ridiculous one is shmeat. I don't want to eat shmeat. Which is just a terrible name, because it sounds dismissive of the whole concept, like meat shmeat. But <laughs> uh, the actual origin of that is it's a combination of sheet and meat, Got because it. the meat kind of grows in sheets, right? It grows right. in a, a, a two-dimensional petri right. dish got it but, uh, but it's like spam it's like a, yeah. it's an awful awful sounding word that should not be used it should not be used but anyways we're going to talk more about marketing and branding this thing later uh let's start talking about the benefits yeah why would you want to make synthetic meat basically what what are the what are the reasons that synthetic meat's better than you know just raising a cow and, and killing it the old-fashioned way the first one's obvious, which is that you're causing a lot of suffering, yeah. right? So you can just... You're causing suffering to that nervous system for sure. Secondly, it's messy. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of health-related trouble you have to go to to make sure a slaughter happens cleanly. Sure. Let, let's talk about health for a second, because that's a big one. I, I saw it argued that, you know, the hygienic issues and the high density of animals together... Yeah also like in close proximity to humans could increase the risk of pandemics, actually. I mean, sure. so many pandemics are caused by 
the flu virus right mutating exactly right uh, it's these pig flus or swine flus or whatever right that we hear about right and you can't blame that all on the meat industry but it's it's sort of plausible to argue that you know were we to eliminate all these densely packed animals that we have that right. might reduce the overall risk of a bad pandemic hitting right right especially with all the antibiotics we feed them and everything it does seem like they're sort of disease uh, mutation laboratories right, right now, and we could eliminate those and, and maybe do better. Right. So a couple other health issues, like the, the food safety itself, right, is easier to control. If you're doing this, say, in a urban warehouse setting, a controlled environment, you could possibly more easily prevent things from getting into the food that you didn't want to be there. You could just have more control over the whole process in general. Mm-hmm. And Another health issue that's not related to disease or hygiene is that you're not locked into a, a certain nutritional profile. Now, culturing meat is not genetic engineering. I think it's important to make that distinction. You, you can culture meat that is not in any way genetically engineered. But you could also combine this with some light engineering to produce healthier meats or without even engineering at all. You could fortify it with beneficial fatty acids. You could control the nutritional right. profile right. to create healthier meat. So health and obviously like it prevents the suffering caused to animals. Uh, the third major category is, is the environment. The livestock industry has a huge impact on the environment right now. Right. So for land, uh, the statistic I saw was crazy. It's that apparently livestock uses roughly a third of the ice-free land on the planet right now, which is hard to believe. And the, also the, all the projections, you know, are that demand for meat is likely to go up, you know, as sure. developing countries pull themselves out of poverty and start having more money to spend on meat, possibly. Uh, that just demand. as world population just as increases, world population right? increases yeah. as well. So it's already a huge portion of the land, and that demand for land is only going to increase. And of course, that leads to deforestation. And there's an Oxford study on you know what would be the change that would happen if we made the shift to synthetic meat instead of traditional meat. Oh, cool. And that study suggested that it could possibly reduce land use by as much as 99%. That's a lot. That is a lot. So it's almost all the percents. Now, you know, any study like this is not it's first of all it's only one study and there's certainly reasons to question it, but that's a pretty big margin for error. Sure. Uh, you know, and, Even and if it was half right, that'd be pretty tremendous. Well, and it stands to reason that that yes, obviously no process that I can imagine for making synthetic meat would be as land intensive as the one that we currently use. Right. Another issue is water. So sure. livestock accounts for roughly eight percent of the world's water use, apparently, which is also enormous. Uh eight percent. Uh, and again, the same Oxford study suggested we could possibly reduce water use by 82 to 96%, which is pretty substantial as well. And that makes sense. I think a lot of that water goes into producing the grain. So they're saying reduce the water use that's currently used. By right. 86%. This is all, this is all comparative. Got it. Got, between, it, got uh, it. Between, uh, today's meat production. So we and could, we could be using somewhere around 2% of the world's water for our synthetic meat output rather than 8%. That's a good question, but yes, that's my understanding. Okay. Got uh, it. we'll post a link to this study. So if you want to like look at these numbers yourself. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. The listener can do that. In addition, greenhouse gas emissions are a big issue with livestock. So they account for like at least 18%. There's actually higher figures out there. 18% is the low end of the amount of emissions they account for. So that's an enormous issue. And once again, the study suggests we might be able to reduce that by 78 to 96%. And then I think the most complicated one to try to figure out is energy use. Mm. Uh, that's the one that I think is a little more ambiguous. 
that could maybe be reduced, according to the study, by 7 to 45 percent. Which is a huge margin of uh, error that that's they've given it. themselves, well, well, 7 to 45 Well, the reason that's so big is because it's very different for different animals. Sure. And actually, poultry was the exception. I think poultry might actually be the one that, in its current form, actually uses less energy. Got it than were we to make poultry synthetically. Got it. So that's not as open and shut a case as the land, water, and greenhouse gas emissions. So if you're purely looking at this from a resource efficiency standpoint, this is where you're going to raise a finger and say, oh, well, you know, maybe we're, we're not quite... There's some room for argument this. there. Right. That's and of, interesting. And of course, we should be skeptical of the study. It has a ton of uncertainty built into it because it's assuming technology that we don't have yet. Right. Obviously, if we did have it... Uh, They'd be studying that. We'd be doing it. But I think overwhelmingly, I mean, the benefits to land, water, greenhouse gas emissions seem pretty enormous. Right. And if you also think about this, as we often do on this podcast, as being part of a larger set of changes going on in the world, and we assume that um, energy costs are going to go down uh, and energy storage costs are going to go down because of of solar and, and increased battery capacity then it could be that in the future, when this is developed, it will be a good trade-off to even, even if the energy use goes up, which you could potentially see happening if this stuff gets very high density and high efficiency. It might use a lot of energy, but not a lot of these other things. Yeah, this definitely isn't happening um, in, a, in a vacuum in terms so, of energy. Yeah, yeah so it might, it might end up being, if we can trade land, water, and emissions all at once for a higher energy profile, that might actually be a good trade-off. And it's not even clear that it would be higher. I mean, it might, it looks right. like it might actually be better. Again, if the study, uh, uh, for on average, for most animals, if better, the study is better correct. or not much worse, it seems. Sure. Yeah. Or, or, or rather, not very much better to quite a lot better, actually, is what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, so we're just injecting the, the normal amount of skepticism, but the, it, it looks good. So, those are all great reasons to do this uh, preventing animal suffering, improving public health, helping out the environment. So let's talk about where we are. Uh, so some of our listeners may have noticed news stories back in 2013 about a very expensive synthetic burger that was created by a team of people working under Dr. Mark Post at Maastricht University in the Netherlands. And the burger was extremely expensive to produce. It was roughly $300,000 for the one burger. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was originally anonymously paid for, but it was later revealed to be Surprise, Sergey Brin. Of course. <laughs> Who else? I remember reading about Sergey Brin getting revealed as the burger donor. The anonymous burger donor yes. is Sergey Brin. <laughs> and no one is shocked. Nobody was surprised <laughs> by that, yeah. Um, so it was, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about the process by which it was made later. But uh, it was cooked by a chef and served to a, a couple of food critics or uh, three different people with, you know, some sort of background in the food industry who then commented on it, and uh, what they had to say about it was that it had great mouthfeel, that it basically was convincingly... Meat Textured, meat-like. Yeah, it was convincingly meat-like. They would not mistake it for, you know, some sort of soy imitation meat product or something else. It seemed like it was meat. The comment that I saw about the taste was that it was intense, which I think is a little bit ambiguous as to whether it's good or not, but it certainly right. had a lot of flavor. Uh -huh. um, the main criticism seemed to be that it was not very juicy, which was not a surprise to anyone because there was zero fat content in this burger. Got it. Uh, it's just grown from All skeletal protein. muscle. Got yeah. it. 
Gotcha. So that's all that they're producing right now. I mean, later, were this technology to get better, you might need that fat right, to you actually might marble in get some the fat. right flavor that you actually want. Yeah. Right. But on the whole, it seems like it was successful, if obviously expensive, and at least got some people maybe thinking about this. It was sort of an intentional publicity stunt to, like, I think, sort of move the ball forward in terms of the conversation. Right. Well, and also oftentimes research like that pays off. You know, it might have been 300000 to make that one, but maybe they learned some things that can help them make a cheaper one in the future. Right, exactly. So now there are a ton of labs that are apparently working on this, and I assume multiple companies, although there's only one that I know much about uh, that seems to be pretty forward about what they're doing, and that's a company called Modern Meadow. Right, I've heard of them. And they're pretty fascinating to me, what they're doing. Uh, they're actually their first project that they're focusing on before meat, although their ultimate goal is producing all types of synthetic meat products, is to make synthetic leather. Mm. And I think they've strategically chosen that for a couple of reasons that seem to make sense. One, it gets around a lot of the FDA issues because it's not a food product. Because you don't eat it. Exactly. So it doesn't have to be nearly as safe as something you're going to put inside you. Exactly. Right. I presume it's just easier to get right scientific. I mean, you don't have to do the, the flavor science. You don't have to get the taste of leather, right? I mean, it has to be high quality material. Depends what you're using the leather for. Sure. I guess if you're chomping down on a belt in whatever uh, fantasy you're enacting, uh, maybe that would matter. But I assume that's a niche market. True. Uh, but maybe I should if make If they're just making shoes or something for vegans, if that's their, is that their market? I assume. Well, so they're planning to scale up. So, and, and you have to do that, right? Because this stuff is, I mean, that burger illustrates the point very nicely. I mean, $300,000 to make one patty, right? right? And obviously the cost of these things is going to drop, but it's not going to drop immediately. So you have to start with high-end luxury fashion items, basically. Right. Like the kind of thing that only your wealthiest, richest people are going to pay for to feel better about the handbag. That so they maybe have. they're getting a several thousand dollar handbag or something, but they can feel ethically clean. And they can claim, you know, that they're the first rich person on their rich person block to have it or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I, I can see that as a totally viable market. Sure. And I, I assume they've done the research on that and that's why that they've chosen that. And they can, they're talking about the scaling up process in which they start, you know, bringing the price down and trying to get this broadly out to a larger consumer market to be happening as soon as 2017, which is pretty soon. That so uh, we'll see if they make that kind of deadline, but uh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that means that it'll be like affordable for you and me in, in right. 2017. It won't be necessarily competing with existing pleather. Not at all. Yeah. Products. It will be still competing with high-end leather goods, but just on an, on an ethical marketing angle. Right, which is obviously like something that already goes on today. I mean, yeah. a lot of products are marked up for ethical reasons. Right, so, it's the, what do they call it, the green tax. You know, right. it's like when something's marked organic and they charge you more. And then the next thing that they're working on is meat snack products. So obviously like developing an actual like quality steak, say, is an extremely difficult challenge, but they're not bound to imitating uh, regular meat perfectly, right? I mean, they have some flexibility with this technology to create things that are completely new and have no uh, parallel in, in like previous meats that we've seen. Yeah. Well, there's also a lot of processed meat products, right? That already exist that can be imitated, right? Like probably more easily than say a steak. Like I'm thinking of beef jerky or something like that. Sure. Well, actually, that's funny you should say that because that's apparently similar to the flavor of their product, which they are tentatively oh. referring to as steak chips. But I they said that steak chips sounds basically like an upscaling of beef jerky, doesn't it? Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, and steak chips currently like is 
the price of those is about $100 a chip. Not okay. that you can buy them, but that's like where they're at. Uh-huh. That's uh, what it costs them to make them these days. Obviously, that it. needs to come down right. a lot because, you know, that would be like a $1,000 bag uh, with all the of chips in. Of beef jerky, right, which normally costs like, what, two for three bucks or something? Right. So, yeah. But these look more like chips. They actually look like kettle chips. Okay. Uh, they're thin. They're crunchy. Uh, and they're basically cow skeletal muscle mixed with pectin, which is a fruit sugar, and they use, they're using teriyaki seasoning, and there's absolutely no fat in them whatsoever. Got it. Uh, but they're full of protein, so they're not totally unhealthy, uh, and they apparently taste good, you know? Hmm. Uh, at least, you know, they've, like, had tastings of these. They've had events, you know? I want a steak chip. You're I selling mean, me on it. I mean, I would love to be... Sounds pretty good. <laughs> it does, actually. I think, you know, <laughs> you can tell they've thought a lot about how to... I mean, this is what I like about this company. They've thought a lot about how they can actually get into the market in a smooth fashion. Like, right. starting with leather. Leather is, I think, less gross. The steak chips somehow seem... They, well, they, I think it's displacing something that's already processed. Right. You know, whether it's a chip or it's a or it's a jerky... Those are processed things. So I feel like you don't have to come off as as real. <laughs> right. In those in Yeah, those you're not things. you're not competing with something like a steak. Yeah. I mean, you're competing with some, like a a bag of Lay's is looks hardly highly artificial already. Right. So, you know, it's it's a much lower bar, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people obviously still like that stuff. So there is um there's desire for it. That makes sense. Um, and they're talking about scaling up within five to 10 years, but this is, of course, highly dependent on what happens with the Food and Drug Administration and could possibly be in grocery stores in 10 years. I wow. mean, this is like a heavily qualified statement coming from their CEO. Sure. Uh, so I don't think that's necessarily something they're committed to. But I mean, that's the kind of timeline that at least some people are talking about for this stuff. Yeah, that's sooner than I would have expected. So that's pretty, um, pretty ambitious. I think that is ambitious. I think but I don't think it would be probably too ambitious to say that this type of thing is going to be pretty common, say, in 20 years, for sure. Right. By that far out, it seems like enabling technologies will have exploded all over the place and we'll be able to to do the complicated things necessary to get this done. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to me. I don't know that much about what how they're doing it, but it seems like this is a really hard thing to do. Yeah, I mean, this is not cheap or easy, but it seems to be a time in history where it's at least a fruitful path to pursue, mm. or at least some people seem to think it is, and that's encouraging. Yeah. Anyways, the company's larger vision is obviously to produce a wide variety of products that are identical to meat, some of them, and some of them are going to be novel meat products that you've never seen before. Right. Uh, I sound like their sales rep right now. <laughs> but uh, they're also picturing, you know, I, I liked this image a lot, like urban meat breweries like if like you model after beer breweries. i mean if you picture like a like yeah what a beer brewery looks like it's mm -hmm. like in an urban space it's like a big like gigantic warehouse full of these big vats that are brewing beer mm -hmm. and that's very much what they're picturing is what this would look like in the right. future right just giant vats brewing meat and i think they also use that angle to kind of make it sound less creepy right it's not somebody right. with a white lab coat and a syringe and a petri dish i mean yes that's more like what it is now it's but it's ultimately like some bros with beards who are like you know <laughs> grilling this stuff straight out of the vat and putting like barbecue sauce on it and then getting you a beer and you throw darts at a board or something sure i think comparing it to beer makes people feel like comfortable about yeah. it but i think also well, it's, it's just it's made locally it's like you know we're growing it in the vat right here in the city 
right know, they're they're building a facility they don't have to in ship it in brooklyn i think they're actually. building of course they're building a yeah, facility yeah. in brooklyn yeah and it seems like uh yeah i mean i could definitely see as a marketing angle uh this will appeal to the very same people who are already feeling badly about their meat intake <laughs> right and are therefore their their most ripe customers right i think all that's true and i think also the the comparison is pretty apt because you know, we we use cultured cell processes to make food. You know, I mean, that's, that's true, that's Espe- what, especially to make beer. Yeah, that's actually. what yeast and right. and, uh, and and yogurt and bread and all these things, right? So this is different in that it's mammal cells, and that's not a small difference necessarily. But I think it kind of demystifies it and makes it seem less creepy when you when you compare it to some of these other cell culturing processes that we already do. Sure, you could also picture this stuff being best fresh potentially. So if it's made locally and sold locally, that might be better for the product. Yeah, I have no idea about that. I know with the meat... with the At least meat from nature is best fresh. So yeah. I suspect that it'll be similar, at least at first. I think they're claiming that this would have a better shelf life, though, than current meat. And that would, oh, be, one, that would be one of the health advantages. Got but it. that's comparatively. I mean, that doesn't mean that it still wouldn't be better fresh. I mean, it right. just means that it might have some comparative advantage. Current too. meat has a very low shelf yeah. life. So even if they double that, that's still like two or three weeks. That's not a, a tremendous amount of time. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the process. Now, I'm neither a biologist nor a tissue engineer, so I'm going to be suitably vague about this. But uh, it'll allow us to talk about some of the challenges. Again, I'm getting excited about this stuff, but it's there's there's a lot to do, right? It's not an easy process. So you need starter cells, right? You need cells from an animal. And I'll refer primarily to the methods that they used for the $300,000 burger. Okay, as, as a so that's our, that's our uh, reference. Got it. Sure. So for that one, they use what are called satellite cells, which are basically adult stem cells that are precursors to skeletal muscle cells. Okay. And those you can acquire painlessly from a cow with just a normal biopsy. And then you have to do some separating to get the specific cells that you want. Okay. But that doesn't involve killing the animal. Now, ultimately down the line, you might want to use embryonic stem cells, Mm -hmm. uh, which might be able to divide for longer. I mean, the problem with these adult stem cells is they don't differentiate forever. I mean, you can get a lot out of very few uh, relatively because they do divide like cells generally do, but they they do hit a limit. Mm -hmm. And uh, my understanding is that ultimately you would want to develop sort of a bank of embryonic stem cells, a line that you could continually draw upon possibly forever if you were to do it right. Got it. Um, That would sort of serve the world's meat needs. Um, But that's not how they did it. They used these satellite cells. Uh, Once you have the cells, they need to divide, so you need a growth medium. Right. And this is where the ethical problems come in because the most commonly used growth medium Mm -hmm. uh, for cells and culture right now, and the one that I believe they used in that burger, is fetal bovine serum. Got it. What is is that? That is uh, blood serum Mm -hmm. from a fetal cow, which they have to take from a mother that they've just slaughtered. So the $300,000 burger may have spent $300,000, but at least two cows died <laughs> to make that burger. Right. Uh, one mommy is, cow and one little undeveloped baby cow. It's actually double the number of cows we normally kill to make a burger. Yeah. So, you know, That's this not good. <laughs> clearly this needs progress, right? Yeah. But I mean... All this really is, the growth medium is just like a source of nutrients for the cells, right? Right. So, I mean, there's going to be alternatives. And obviously, the goal is a plant or algae-based substitute. And the Oxford study that I referenced earlier is assuming an algae-based substitute. 
that as far as I can tell, I couldn't see much evidence of it actually being in use now. So that's a, you know, that's something you can point to in that study is like, this is a little bit speculative that's here. That's speculative, got Like, it. Uh, that's not what they're actually using. But yeah, the goal is to eliminate killing animals from the process altogether, obviously. So right. this is a major point that needs to be fixed. But anyways, you nourish the cells in the growth medium. They divide as cells do. And then you also need some kind of scaffolding because, you know, these are muscle cells. They're used to attaching to a body, to, uh-huh. to other muscle cells and to bone. I know how they did it for this particular burger, which is that they grew the meat in like flat donuts around. Uh, they scaffolded it to a central hub of collagen gel. Okay. So the meat grew like, yeah, basically like in a flat donut. Picture like a CD, like a, a okay. disc with a hole in it. Got it. And part of the reason they do that is that the muscle cells naturally contract around the hub which helps them sort of like toughen up and like get stronger. And they have to do this a lot of times because just that process produces like a small basically ring of tissue, which then has got to be layered with a lot more similar pieces of tissue, like a lot of them to ultimately produce something the size of a burger patty. Right. Which is why this thing probably costs so much money. So these are the sheets, basically. I mean, and it's pretty slow process to do this. Yeah. yeah. But down the line, I mean... You know, meat is three-dimensional, so you want a three-dimensional scaffold, probably. You want maybe some sort of 3D-printed structure, uh, so you can actually grow the meat thick, like meat actually grows. You also want to introduce the fat at some point, right? Right, Um, right. Obviously, you want your scaffold to be edible, if at all possible, so you don't have to remove it. And you also have a challenge with a 3D thicker meat of getting nutrients to all parts of it. So that's normally what a circulatory system does. So you might need You might need, like, capillary equivalents something, something like that that, that can... allows the growth medium to get to all different parts of it right so there's a lot of challenges to overcome there and then the last step is the muscle needs to be exercised right it's muscle right right or it's going to atrophy right um and the way they do that now is with electrical impulses which mm. is which is not an energy efficient way to do this in the long term right so you know maybe the scaffold can move and stretch the muscle in some way but there needs to be a solution there Right. And again, I mean, there's a lot of labs working on this stuff. I don't know what the state of the art is. Uh, I mean, because there's a lot of work just been done in the last two years. And a lot of the stuff I'm reading is from two years ago. Mm. So I know what the challenges are, but uh, I don't know how far away we are from solving some of these problems. Yeah, it does seem like it would be possible to somehow engineer scaffolding that can stretch the muscle. Sure. But yeah, who knows how far along we are on that path. Exactly. And I don't know what, I couldn't really figure out, I mean, if a listener can, please feel free to email us. But, but looking at the Oxford study, I couldn't quite figure out what their baked in assumptions were about how to handle this exercising of the meat process. Right. Because, because that's a big energy. Use it does affect the energy use, right? Got Directly. It. So I don't know what their assumed solution was. And then there's additional challenges here, um, which is that despite how often we use livestock animals in our daily lives, uh, not as much is known about them as, say, like lab animals, like mice. Right. So there's actually a lot we just have to learn about their cells, right? right? And Isn't like, that mostly because they're long lives? Like livestock animals have relatively long lives versus like rats, which breed several times a year. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's probably and a variety like, of reasons why we don't, you know, choose them to like to do like experiments the, on. Be the guinea pigs. Right. There's a reason guinea pigs is the term for that, right? They're like rats. Guinea pigs are the guinea pigs. They're the guinea pigs. Rodents in general seem to be chosen for these kinds of tasks or monkeys or... We could make mice meat. Maybe maybe we'd be more... Right. That's interesting. There's a lot of bones per meat in a mouse, right? I mean... But that's not a problem in this case. I guess not if we breed them... But I don't see anybody talking about that. So there must be some... I mean, probably just... It just worsens the... uh, I mean, nobody wants to eat mice meat, right? I think that's... 
<laughs> probably That's the probably problem. the big issue, yeah, because, you know, otherwise people would eat mice. It might be terrible, too. I right. mean, owls like it, but uh, <laughs> I'm not now. They have very different tastes than us, yeah. Right. And then the obvious challenge is getting the taste right. I mean, like, you know, taste is, uh, it's, it's, it's complicated. Why you eat meat, yeah, and it is complicated. It's not that well understood, right? I mean, there's parts of it that are still somewhat mysterious. So let's talk now about the marketing of this, right? Sure. Uh, I mean, it seems kind of weird that we're getting to this late, but I mean, obviously... A lot of people's response is, this is gross, right? And we've just made a case for it. I'm into it. You're into it. But that doesn't mean that everybody is going to be into it. Sure. Uh, the knee-jerk response does tend to be that it's gross or that it's somehow unnatural. There's an easy answer to the gross thing, which is that you just show someone like really any photos from an actual slaughterhouse and you're just like, well, is it grosser than this? I mean, you know, I think it's <laughs> right. like it's not... A pretty easy argument to, to get around, I think. Right. Well, they call like any gross process sausage making, right? Like that's the yeah, uh, yeah. That's, that's the, the standard societal, of grossness, right? That's the societal cliche for something gross. So, like, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's already gross. There's there's grossness involved in any of these in any of these things. It's more just a matter of like, for me, it's like all about what's the finished product. If the meat is so the synthetic meat is as good or better than the meat we get from the farming system, then I find it no more gross. Well, and I have a feeling that a lot of people, if this comes to market, are eventually going to take that type of pragmatic view of it, which is like, if it tastes good, they're just going to eat it. I mean, people eat all kinds of really bizarre, People eat veal now, which stuff. is definitely, you know, an ethical question. Right, and they whatever. eat extremely, like, fake-looking synthetic stuff. I mean, people, That's eat, true. people eat red vines, for God's people sake. People eat red vines, they eat Cheetos. yeah. I saw some people recently eating, um, I think it was called a puffy goldfish. It's like basically somebody took um, a cheese puff and smashed it into the shape of a goldfish. And then it tastes uh, sort of like they poured the cheese powder from Kraft macaroni and cheese all over the, the resulting thing. It's, it's, it's it was horrible yeah i mean i had one of them and i was like oh my goodness i should not have put that in my mouth um but uh but i saw a whole group of apparently sane individuals just you know really having a good time eating them so there's tons of things like that on the market yeah, yeah that are just saying. ridiculous yeah. uh and that's the thing is like i'm just gonna talk for a moment about the the naturalistic fallacy here because i mean i think the number one thing that people are going to say is it's not natural right and I mean, probably our listeners don't need this explained to them, but I mean, it's so easy to problematize that argument, right? Well, when you hear somebody saying that, the easy thing to tell them is none of the things that we eat are natural. Right, right exactly. <laughs> I mean, including our meat products. You know, if you look at the animals that are chock full of hormones that we have that we've selectively bred There's for this, generations. Yeah, been selectively breeding for millennia uh, to be docile and fat and to reach maturity quicker and right. all kinds of things. And then now we, on top of that, we have them in a factory system that's, uh, that designs every moment of their lives from birth to death right? Uh, to maximize their profit to the person growing them. Listen, I eat this stuff. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I think you have to recognize that it's been highly tampered with by man. Right. And even your, you know, your vegetables and things that you would think would be, you know, arguably more natural are also the product of artificial selection going on for generations yeah. of humans. You can go on the internet and you can look up pictures of what tomatoes used to look like and what corn used to look like and what bananas used to look like. And it's it's not like what they look like today. Yeah. Bananas in nature have seeds, for example, which make them really annoying to eat. But uh, somebody found a banana tree that didn't have seeds and cloned it like a million right. times all over the world. So now we have 
the bananas we have. Yeah, so we're always using technology. We're constantly doing unnatural things. Yeah. And even if we could somehow have natural food, there's just simply no reason why something being natural is better. I mean, the word natural is one of these words that evokes positive emotions, but it doesn't matter what definition of natural you use. If it if your definition, for example, is, you know, something that's not man-made, then the natural suddenly applies to hurricanes that right. destroy and houses. Poisonous and, snakes. And yes, and, and uh, like hyenas that eat animals alive while they're suffering. So it's not clear that even being natural is a desirable thing. There are some questions about this stuff because we don't have generations of experience eating synthetic meat because it's new. Sure. Um, uh, so we'll definitely have to be vigorous and make sure that the ways that we're doing it aren't causing problems. But that is all solvable, I think, if we are clear-eyed and transparent and keep looking into things. Well, and transparency is another one of the arguments I've seen made for why these sort of urban meat breweries might be better to say a slaughterhouse. I mean, uh, arguably, you know, that- Meateries. Meteries, sure. Uh, uh, these meteries might be more. I, I want to go to a meteries. Yeah, it sounds like a place you. Uh, so, anyways, in the answer to like, will this catch on? I think it will. I mean, if it tastes good, if it tastes good, I think people are just gonna adapt like they have to all kinds of insane foods. Agreed. I, I definitely think taste and texture is everything, and if they can get that right, there's just so many reasons to adopt it from an efficiency standpoint, from an environmentalist standpoint, from an ethical standpoint, from a public health standpoint, it seems like it'll be just unstoppable. That said, before it can taste good, it needs funding. So it does have a bit of a branding problem as evidenced by the list of names that we read. Schmeat is not usable. Test tube meat emphasizes the lab and the artificiality. Tube steak, terrible. Mm, Tube steak, I think they should go with. No. (laughs) You just like it because it has steak in it. And, and you like tubes because, like, you're thinking of guitar tubes or something. I don't I'd, know why, but tube steak just sounds kind of good to me. It sounds like it's going to be rolled up. I don't know. I feel like in your brain it's, like, some combination of, like, tube guitar amps and steak, which are both things that you like. Yeah, maybe. Maybe uh, maybe that's the uh, marketing pathway to But my the brain. image in my head is meat coming out of a tube of toothpaste, which is gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is gross. Okay, if I if I think about it that way, I, I'm I'm disgusted. Okay, it's like Brazil. It's like you know, right? It's getting like the it's, steak number two, it, and they squeeze out some goo and put a picture of steak in the meat number five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want that. You definitely. If I'm making, I mean, I think Modern Meadows got a good idea. Like, you know, I'm sure there's no meadow involved in what they're doing. Just like there's no meadow involved in a factory farm that's uh, you know got cows on a confined area lot and then puts them in a building where they get slaughtered but it's good to evoke that image sure. i think you know there'll be more meadows if we're not using them to graze cows right 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 <laughs> well and then cultured meat is sort of accurate but doesn't sound great although it's funny it sounds like the meat is cultured yeah or something. i don't mind it's, cultured it's actually meat. a little bit better because culture is a positive word it, it, it does and sound it's other non-meanings right that have nothing to do with actually culturing cells that has positive evocations. Right. But then uh, the other ones, which seem, I think, on the surface like good ideas, are actually bad ideas. So I've seen cruelty-free meat, victimless meat, slaughter-free meat. The problem with those is they're saying the thing that you don't want people to think of. It's like that typical (laughs) advertising trick where, like, you know, 
if you want to slander somebody, you know, you take out an ad and say, you know, Ted Cupper is not a pedophile. Right, right, right. right. And anymore, people are, <laughs> people are, are just. We don't even need that part, right? You just keep saying like, like, like. It's like the "When did you stop beating your wife?" question. It's like you know you. <laughs> Yeah, you've already planted the image. So right. victimless meat. You've just said victim. You don't want to say victim or a cruelty-free meat. You've just put cruelty in your name. Right. Well, and even like the other greenwashing people get this. As they call food, you know, organic food. Right. They don't call it pesticide-free food so because need, yeah. you don't want to say pesticide. That's going to be like, ew, I don't want to, you know, that's going to ick people out and then they're not going to buy it even though you're saying pesticide-free. So we need the opposite of cruelty, suffering, victim. We need like peace, meat, or something. That's not great, but we need something that's like a positive adjective. Right, That's right. like saying what it is positively and not what it isn't. Right. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know if anything comes to mind for you, but like I don't have the answer to this. Yeah, this is a tough one because I feel like, to me, if it was like engineered meat, I, I would see that positively, but many people wouldn't. They'd be scared by that, I think. Like, you can't yeah, use that. yeah. Well, that's... So, so that's not actually a good idea. Like that's a good marketing strategy for a nerd, but it's a terrible marketing Does strategy for like everybody. People like design a little better, like designed meat, right, designer right. meat. Designer meat, yes. Designer meat is kind of funny. Um, right. Artisan designer meat, you know. I mean, it's it's got to be made in the local meatery, this one. Right. I mean, I think that's a little, little bit better. It's tough. I think it is a tough marketing challenge and some some ad man is going to really make his money coming up with the way to really sell, you know, um, you know, eat your cow and have right. a moo or, or whatever it ends up being uh, as a uh, as a tagline for this stuff. But for the time being, what you really need to do is uh, is just get the financing for this stuff. Yeah. How many Sergey Brins are there and how much can you get out of them? You know, how many high profile high net worth, uh, ethically concerned slash futurist folks right. are there out well, there who are going to try to push this along. Well, and there's so many issues to deal with, but I mean, you, the more you look at this we one... we have not Paul McCartney? Sure, yeah. That's a guy with money who wants to see less money. Well, and you know, he's got connections to PETA, and PETA, I didn't mention this earlier, like put out an award for anybody, uh, or a reward uh, of I think it was but it was kind of low it was like only like a million dollars and it was for something ex- obscenely difficult like uh, pulling this off for poultry meat uh, and making it cheaper and or cheap enough to bring to market which we saw earlier I mean poultry meat is Poultry's already one of the cheapest the, meats the so it's like one of the hardest ones to like do better efficiency wise mm. and uh, yeah I think the deadline already passed Oh, really? So, you know, I don't know how effective that was but you know, they're on board with this and I'm sure, you know Paul McCartney ought to be. That's good. I mean, uh, that's a good thing for PETA to be supporting, and I wouldn't necessarily assume that they'd be on that side, so that's good. Right. You, um, you, you would. I'm glad they're, they didn't, like, just dig in their heels and say, like, no, we're, we must make a cultural shift where we turn our back on murder. You know, this is the easy way out or something. I mean, I'm sure it saddens, you know, people at PETA, but, like, we got to be practical here, like. Well, right. I mean, what do you rather have happening? You know, I mean, yeah. So I think uh, that's really interesting. And like an X prize type thing seems like it's not going to be the way because this isn't like one problem that needs to be solved, right? This is like a sort of multifaceted engineering, uh, biological engineering challenge. It's like multiple levels of complexity. And it seems like that's going to need sustained ongoing innovation from from serious efforts. It seems like the university system, the agricultural companies themselves, because cracking this thing is going to be valuable, 
and you know possibly individuals who like you know paul mccartney's and sergey brin's in this world who just like have the money and want to see some change i mean it intersects actually with you a know? lot of different industries right because it intersects with the the food science industry but it intersects also with the agriculture industry and mm-hmm. it intersects with like with biotech and it intersects mm-hmm. with uh just, and genomics maybe yeah uh, yeah i mean it intersects yeah. with a lot of things and but i mean the good thing about it too is that tissue engineering you know this is the same is the primary field i think that this falls under and uh-huh. and that also applies to efforts to say like grow human organs and other super important things that there's strong motivation to pursue sure so i i think there's already you know probably plenty of cross-pollination between those camps because it's all kind of the same field i mean growing growing cells and artificially and also if you're making organs you want to get the taste right right I mean, yeah. I mean that, I mean that figuratively, talk, but you know well, what I mean, Since you brought right? up cannibalism, let's just talk about cannibalism <laughs> <Okay>. now. <laughs> because uh, I, that's a question that I think people get a lot about this. Uh, you know, can you use it to make people meet? The answer right. is yes, you could. Right. Ethical cannibalism could be possible with lab-grown meat. So, you know, this is one way to deal with our cannibal problem. We can... Uh, which it's we, a very small which problem. Which we don't really have right. that I know. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, that's really being facetious. And actually, along those lines, there's this thing called Bite Labs. Have you heard of this? No, it's that. So, Bite Labs is a uh, probably fake company. You can go to bitelabs.org. Okay. And uh, they are claiming to make synthetic salami using meat from celebrity tissue samples. <laughs> or actually, like, I'll just quote it. Bite Labs grows meat from celebrity tissue samples and uses it to make artisanal salami. <laughs> this is a very good joke. But this is, it's a good joke, but it's clearly a stunt. Their uh, website is hilarious. I'm scrolling through it now. It has, um, oh, they have a list of celebrities whose meat you can eat. James Franco. James Franco, of course, is on it. Let's make him salami. Jennifer yeah. Lawrence, a different type of Hunger Game. I'm not going to read all the jokes on here. You should just go to this Yeah, site. that's a very funny website. Um, I think this actually, this does a pretty good job of uh, making fun of, but also showing you um, some of the marketing approaches we were just talking about, which is, you know, uh, the fact that they call it artisanal salami. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. you know, they're obviously going after a, a type of luxury, handmade, localized market right which makes sense uh which we discussed and then you know the celebrity angle is is great and also bite labs pretty good name bite labs is a good name yeah um if they just like you know if it wasn't a joke and it wasn't like a, basically a celebrity culture spoof which it seems to be at least in part mm-hmm. yeah you could actually see this maybe working no these are that's not a bad uh yeah. that's not a bad mock-up plus of what salami like. i mean you know again salami already is like you know, highly processed. It, exactly. I feel like mostly tastes like wine. Will tolerate less real salami, maybe. Now, I have zero interest in trying human meat, really. Uh, well, that's not something you want to find. You have a taste for, right? <laughs> like, I, if you're not already into human meat. Yeah, I mean, how can that? Like, go- I don't. I don't feel like I want to know. There's what? only well, there's only two ways it can go. Either you taste it and it tastes bad, in which case you ate something bad. Or it tastes good, and you're like, I like human meat. Right. And then you're disturbed. So what I'm more interested in, which should also be possible with this technology, I think, would be to eat endangered animals. <laughs> right? Uh, many maybe seal. <laughs> some of which might be delicious, right? <laughs> right. That's um, why they're endangered, maybe. <laughs> right? Uh, but you could do it, you know, safely. Or like... Uh, well... Ethically, you mean? Ethically, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, you get some samples. For them. You get some 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 cell samples, and then you just grow 
you know, condor meat in a lab. This would require Komodo dragon. I don't even know what's an endangered animal anymore. Um, uh, I don't know. Pandas. Pandas have got to be endangered. Yeah. I would eat panda. I'd eat a panda burger. Again, though, I'm not sure you want you want people knowing that they love panda meat. Like, not a, not, it's not maybe a great... Pandas are too cute. I mean, I made a bad choice there. I mean, I, I, I don't know. What I really want to eat, and this is, I think, would require more technology, is also extinct animals. So, like, I, I want to... I want so This is the Jurassic Park mammoth. restaurant. I want to eat mammoth. You want to eat mammoth. I mean, I mean, mammoth always looks good, right? I mean, like when you see the the silly caveman cartoons and it's true. you know the the caricatures a lot of, of uh, blubber, a lot primitive of, man, a lot of exactly like throwing yeah. spears and taking down the mammoth. I mean, like vicariously, I'm always like, it must be good to be that caveman, just like biting to that mammoth meat that you like fought hard for. Sure, but you know that's a completely made up fantasy that. But you can imagine a modern day theme park like sort of creating that for you where you like rush through a cold tunnel with a bunch of other people or you play a VR video game where you kill a mammoth or something and then at the end you eat some synthetic mammoth meat. Tell me like a caveman version of medieval times. It's like medieval times. Yeah, it's like medieval times. Yeah, but but mammoth. <laughs> mammoth times. Um, so other random related topics to bring up are, well, one of them is insect meat. Okay. Yeah, so let's talk about insect meat because this is going to be the big war, I think. Between It's not going to be between synthetic meat and cow meat because it's either going to get economically inefficient to grow cow meat because we're going to want to use that land for all the people that we have or whatever. Or it's going to get, uh, you know, the environment is going to tell us uh, in the form of hurricanes that we can we have to stop, right? So it's I true. think 10 to 20 years, on that 10 to 20 year a horizon that we're talking about, like, you know, world in 2050 or whatever, the other big protein source that's going to be fighting lab-grown meat for market share is going to be locusts, when fried was, locusts. Right. And I, I didn't research this one for this episode, so I know less about this, but it's it's in a lot of ways very similar, right? It's got uh, serious marketing problems. Serious marketing problems, but major, major efficiency gains. Like, the thing about locusts is you can feed them basically garbage. Right. And they will turn it into protein that you can eat that's not poisonous to you. Well, and a huge advantage is we know how to do this now, right? I mean, Yeah, they does, do it in Thailand. We yeah. don't need any new technology. You don't need any new technology to eat locusts. You just got to hold your nose and put them in your mouth. Well, but the thing is that, like, when you, you know, like, what does this actually end up looking like because if you leave it looking like a locust obviously there's a problem there. oh i see what you mean the but if you like fully right, like right, right. grind it up and you turn it into like a chip or something like you right. know something that's more abstract well yeah the texture is the big gross out factor with insects and it seems like you know um that uh keratin shell the exoskeleton of the of the insect you know you've really got to break that down and retexture it and um even like grinding it up leaves a lot of hairs and legs because you know insects are small so we've got to figure out processes by which we can texturize these buggers uh so that they can be made into a bar that has like a pleasing texture or um you know they're proteins so the kind of things you can do with protein maybe made into a kind of steak um so there are technological challenges here as well oh yeah definitely technological challenges and honestly i think some of the same texturizing that people are trying to do either with soy or with lab-grown uh, cells will will also translate to insect cells. It's interesting ethically, though, too, because here you're still murdering organisms. They're lower on the food chain. They're less sophisticated. I think for a lot of people, insects do not 
reach that ethical standard because they don't appear to have like the same type of subjective experience that we have. Um, their, their central nervous system is extremely simple and they have something that you'd call a brain, but it's not like a uh, vertebrates uh, central nervous system. I mean, I think that's an area that, uh, you know, is ripe for debate, but, sure. I, but I, I definitely think that people are going to shed less tears for a bunch of locusts. For than, locusts. I mean, they're for pigs, say, which are, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd put them between fish and plants on my scale of personal um, relation to them. Right. Like I feel like more akin to a fish than an insect and less akin uh, to a plant than an insect personally. Except interestingly, um, I just kind of have animosity towards insects as I think most people have a natural inclination to like, which is, which also I think makes it easier. Like whether or not they feel pain, I just, that's do, actually do very thousands rational. of years like, of you know, of like having to deal with cockroaches, like since the <laughs> dawn of man. I don't know. I just like, maybe it's inbred well, at this point. I just don't, I don't like that. I think we have racial memory of hating uh, insects. We're naturally, uh, repulsed by them i think because they are an indicator that the food we do normally eat has gone bad uh when you see insects in your meat for example you see maggots in your meat that means it's gone yeah they're a very you like know. blunt indication of like poor hygiene poor sanitation right. yeah so i think you know it's going to be tough to con to convince people like oh no these insects are okay to eat but they do it in thailand they do it other places so it is possible and it may just be an easier engineering challenge to retexture those guys than to figure out all of the complexity of, of growing meat and exercising. Well, some of that lab. depends on, you know, what actually happens, you know, in the global meat market. And obviously, sure. like, if demand goes up and up and up and up and, like, you know, we may hit real market forces that are causing the, the price of meat to skyrocket. Right. Right. Uh, which creates pressure for all manner of solutions, insects right. included. Shall we talk about, like, now, because, you know, Ultimately, the goal here is protein, right? I mean, getting protein. So, I mean, there's other ways you might get protein. Um, meat uh, is one way. and Right, right. Insects are another well, way. Well, I think this is like an important divide in this world, too, because there are some people who are concerned with, you know, the ethics of meat, but also want to preserve, you know, our food culture as it currently exists. Sure. But then there are other people out there, and there's, you know, some prominent projects along these lines who are really trying to re-engineer eating yes to, to the point where you can take a protein pill or like you know uh, there's that thing soylent which was kickstartered which i backed your kickstarter but you did not send me your soylent so i'm unhappy with you soylent people so okay uh, so john has had a bad experience with so, soylent because we haven't gotten our soylent but yet, uh right? yes i'm i'm in favor of this product and i want to try it but yeah i mean the idea there is to you know if you're listening soylent send us john's soylent he already paid for it yeah and we will review it we'll review it right here on the podcast exactly so anyways complaint over but right. yes i mean the point is you're making that yes you could you know not necessarily have a traditional meal whatsoever and possibly acquire your what you need to survive. Right. And for a lot of people, I think that would be a great solution to not just the ethics of eating, but also the hassle and time and discomfort in some cases that eating causes. I think for other people, that sounds like kind of a nightmare uh, because there's like a big social component to eating and there's a big uh, aesthetic component to eating where the smells of it and whatever. And uh, that goes away in those cases. So I personally, I think I fall more on the camp of people who like i enjoy eating as a sort of leisure activity i'd rather we engineer food that looks and tastes and smells all like real food and has very low caloric content than uh necessarily like moving to like a protein pill soylent type world although i'm willing to try because i think it's interesting well 
maybe this is the point in the podcast, and this is probably the place we're going to have to end, sure. where, we, where we push this as far as it can possibly yes, go. Yes, let's do that. Because I think that, you know, the, 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 the ultimate ideal here, right, right, is to do with food what we've done with other biological needs, like, for example, sex, right? We've right. separated the actual reproductive use of sex from the, you know, more pleasurable recreational aspects of it. Right. Or at least we've done a reasonably good job of that through birth control. Certainly there's improvements we could make on top of that even. Right. But if we could do that with food, I mean, that's what you want, right? You want to have a meal where you can eat whatever meal you want, right. whenever you want, and completely divorce that from the health effects of it. Right. Right. So you want to be taking a pill that gives you exactly the new, maybe not even taking a pill. Maybe you have, you know, some kind of, uh, distributed nanotech system exactly. that's like inside your body, basically like synthesizing, from, giving you what you need, right. right? From like and small then, stores of, of raw materials that are somewhere. Exactly. And then eating is just a recreational exercise. Right. And then that eating would also be totally the food you're eating would be totally re-engineered so that like the potato chips have no calories and you know, you can eat the most pleasurable foods, but they don't count in your score. They're either taken out by the, by the machines that are going through your body or they're engineered not to have any content or something. Right. So some days maybe you eat six times. Right. With six different groups of people. Right. Because it's a very social day. Maybe it's a, a it's a holiday, holiday or something. Yeah. Your friends are all in town. And then maybe for a week you eat nothing because you're just, you're too busy. You're working and you don't have time for that. And so you're, you're just taking in your, your nutrients. It, to me, that's the dream. It's basically just engineering the human, your digestive system just to the absolute maximum degree so that we have full freedom over it and we can eat for pleasure and live regardless. Right. And I feel like these, uh, these, unnatural solutions or these like mm -hmm. attempts in this direction, you Artificial know, whether it's synthetic, synthetic, synthetic meat or uh, honestly, even like genetically modified foods and things that scare people mm -hmm. like they're, they're moving towards that ideal in very slow incremental ways. And like, right. Know, I mean, I think we were at the very beginning of this uh, sort of revolution in being able to engineer living things based on, you know, knowing the genetic code and, and being able to manipulate it. So we could get a lot farther. Well, and trying yeah. to design foods that are healthier too. I mean, and right. how long has that even been in industry, like health food, right? I mean, do you know, like, well, off like, the top of your head? I think the, the inventor of the health food industry, uh, if my knowledge, which comes from movies, so, so maybe wrong, is correct, uh, is like Kellogg and you know, he was like in the, you know, late 1800s, like, um, you know, started okay. breakfast cereal. I mean, that sounds about right. I mean, I can't imagine you know, it being that much older like than the health, Industrial Revolution. Yeah, and it's an industrially created food, sure. obviously, uh, breakfast cereal is. It's in no way a health food by today's standards. But I think part of what's interesting is that we don't have even good enough science to definitively say with certainty where you'll have 100%, you know, uh, scientific consensus uh, or or close to that, uh, what is or isn't healthy food-wise. And I think a lot of that is highly motivated by the fact that the people who grow food uh, and, and manufacture it uh, have a lot of power uh, as to what gets studied. Yeah, there's a lot of weird incentives uh, in the food industry, if that's what you're talking about. So, yeah, so I think we were still at, like, the very early stages of being able to show with good data, you know, oh, yeah, like, this or that really is healthier than... Than this other thing. Well, now that we've gone super broad yeah. uh, and off topic, uh, I think we should wrap it up. Sure. But uh, as always, thanks for tuning in and uh, help us out with a, an iTunes review. 
Yeah, uh, we have all five star reviews, but we don't have enough for them to show our average. So we can really use could some more. Add a few more. That'll that'll really help us because then the, we can show that the average is high. We'll accept Stitcher there. reviews as well. If you're using Stitcher, please review us there. If you're using another uh, app, uh, send us an email or shoot us a comment on Twitter. Our handle is RTF underscore podcast or on Facebook where we're also available. So it's facebook.com slash review the future. Uh, you can, you can um, shoot us a note there as well. Uh, and thank you to people who have already sent in emails. So if we get, again, if we get some more, like we'll start maybe responding to them. Yeah, we'd like to do a little bit of a listener mailbag, um, but right now it's been too much of a trickle. So uh, thank you to the few of you who've who've sent them in, and if you were thinking of sending us one, uh, now's the time. And uh, we have some good guests on the horizon. This was a bit of a return to our old format, which we're going to try to do every once in a while, where it's just the two of us, and we're digging into one topic. Yep. But uh, we're excited about some of the episodes around the corner, so stay tuned for those. Yes. All right. Thanks very much for listening. We will see you in two weeks. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.